God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you today. We pray, O Lord, as we look at the text today, may it speak to us and change us and make us new in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to turn to the gospel lesson, and uh, we're going to look at the gospel as the basis for our text this morning. And remember now, last Sunday, we celebrated Holy Trinity. Sunday before that, we had Pentecost. We had the color red then, white last week for Holy Trinity. And now you notice the color has gone to green, the pyramids. Now they will re remain green all the way until Advent. Green represents growth. It represents living the Christian life. The Pentecost season now is upon us. We call these the Sundays of Pentecost, as your bulletin says, this is the second Sunday after Pentecost. And this means looking at the Christian life is how we live it based on what Jesus did. For one half of a year, we've looked at the life of Jesus, all the way from birth to suffering and death, resurrection, ascension. And now we're spending 20-some weeks looking at how we live following Jesus, the Sundays of Pentecost. Now, in the Gospel lesson today, we've got three reactions to Jesus' ministry. It's just now starting out, and Jesus is just getting warmed up in his ministry, but opposition is already occurring. We're going to look at that as we look at this. Because Jesus was causing a commotion, upset his family, upset the church leaders, so he couldn't be ignored. Jesus has just started going out saying, the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe the gospel. He was healing people, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing. He's casting out demons. And he called people to follow him. Right before this gospel lesson, he calls the 12 disciples and calls them to be special followers of his. He's out forgiving sins and he's hanging around with sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. Well, his family definitely is upset. This guy's insane, they think. His mother and his brothers want to get him out of the... and take him home and hide him. They're embarrassed by this guy. The church leaders, well, they're after him also. So let's take a look. If you look at the gospel lesson, it says, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. He's gathered together somewhere, we're not sure which house, but it's so crowded that they couldn't even get any food to eat. People were wanting to hear what this man had to say, this Jesus. Now, mind, keep in mind, these houses in those days were not like your house with all kinds of rooms and bathrooms. Lucky to have two rooms, a living place where you could eat and a place where you could sleep, a loft-like. That's all was in the house. The windows were just kind of holes in the wall with shutters over them, wooden shutters, no glass windows. But they opened those all, and people were sticking their heads in trying to hear. People were all gathered in the house sitting down, and Jesus is teaching them, just like the cover of your bulletin shows Jesus teaching people. Jesus was teaching this time from a house, in the house. And the house is packed with people, and people can't get in. They're pushing to get in. They're, they just, that's the reaction. The crowd wants to hear. That's the reaction of the crowd. 
Well, what is this guy telling us? What is it? Who is this guy that's out casting out demons and, and preaching and taking the kingdom of God is near and causing this commotion? And now look at his mother and his brothers. It says, when the family heard it, his family heard it, they went out to say, seize him. They're going to get him and drag him home. For they are saying he's out of his mind. He's insane. Mary and her, and her, her sons, he says, brothers, are embarrassed. They're probably telling the people, don't, don't, don't pay him. It's okay. We, we're, we're embarrassed. We don't, we're, we're going to try to get him. We're going to try to get him out of here. They're embarrassed with Jesus. Also, and then the next paragraph, look who else comes down. And the scribes came down from Jesus. And it says, other translations say the religious leaders. Notice they have a different approach to it. They, they know he's casting out demons, and they know that he's preaching, and they know that he's doing healing. But what are they doing? They're using techniques that are used today. They go after him. They criticize him. They tear him down. They said he's possessed by the demons. Beelzebub. He's a demon-possessed person. And they're out there telling the crowd, no, don't pay attention. He's, he's possessed. He's a, he, you can't listen to him. So they're calling him, casting out the prince of demons. Now Jesus does something interesting. He doesn't yell at them and say, you bunch of dumb skulls, I'm going to show you something. No, he says a parable. Kind of shuts them up. He asks the question, how can Satan cast out Satan? I mean, Satan's not going to cast himself out. So you scribes, you Pharisees, what are you talking about saying I'm demon-possessed? And so he called to them and said to them in the parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's true. You can't be divided and stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. So obviously, he's not possessed by a devil, he tells the scribes and Pharisees. And what can they say? They kind of caught him in their action. Then he adds another parable. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. In other words, if they want to do something, they have to tie him up, but it's not going to work. It's not working. And so he's challenging them to think, what are they talking about? What are they thinking? And Mark doesn't tell us what they did, if they walked away or if they just stayed there or what they did. But then he brings in an interesting paragraph, which we call the sin of the Holy, against the Holy Spirit, and this confuses people. So let me just kind of clear this up for you today. What is a sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look at the text. 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Now, what Jesus is saying here, and people get concerned, if I, come, if I come into the sin against the Holy Spirit, no, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have not committed the sin. The sin is to deny Jesus or blaspheme him and say he's unclean, that he's a maniac. Like, if you deny him, 
and you die, you are unforgiven. You have no eternal life. But if you have a sin, committed a sin, other than that, and you die, you're still saved. You're living under salvation. As a believer, you're saved. But if you deny him, then, and you die, you're not. That's the point. And he's telling the Pharisees, look, if you're denying me, you're in trouble. And, he, and, and it says in verse 30, for he said this, for they had said, he has an unclean spirit. He's pointing out to them, you guys better shape up. You're the church leaders. You should shape up. So it's an interesting uh, uh, statement that he makes there. Now, notice what happens in the last paragraph of the text. We have a little uh, interesting um, family situation here. And his mother and his brothers came. Now they're standing outside. They can't get in the house. The house is packed with people. They're all around Jesus. And they, they can't get in. It's just packed. People are listening to him. And so, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. In other words, they're yelling out, Hey, Jesus! And they're telling people, Hey, pass the word out. We want to, we want to see Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, here's what the crowd says to Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now notice what Jesus says. Very interesting. All right. Verse 33. Whoever, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. Now that's astonishing. Family is not necessarily biological. Family is those who do the will of God. The Christian family, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Whoever does the will of God, Jesus says. He redefines Family. Family is not necessarily who we think it is, but it's who, together in Christ. If we are believers in Jesus, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong to the spiritual family. And so this is an interesting insight into the text. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Notice the religious leaders, they're combative. They know he's guilt, or not guilty of healings, because he was, but they think he's on the wrong side. And so he uses the parables. But the, who's listening? The people. So notice there's some interesting insights into this text. One, Jesus does not, I mean, Jesus does incredible things, healing and delivering messages and, and doing great things. It shows the ignorance of some people about who Jesus is. Jesus teaches in parables. And Mark doesn't tell us exactly what happens at this point with the church leaders and mother, his mother and his brothers. So who's Jesus' family becomes the question we look at in this text. Who is Jesus' family? Not necessarily, as I said, biological but it's those of us who do the will of God. Now, what does that mean? What's the will of God? 
You know what the will of God is? Did you read about this week? Did you get into your Bible and read the will of God? The whole Bible is the whole manual of what God wants from us, what God has done for us, and what God expects of us. And the will of God is to follow him, to listen to him, to believe in him, to trust in him, and then to receive his blessings, and then to serve him and be alert to what's going on in in our lives. We could spend all morning talking about the will of God, but you have to read it and study it and meditate it. That's where it comes in for the scriptures. The religious leaders should have known better. They knew the prophecies, they knew about this, and yet they did not believe. They wouldn't believe that he was the Messiah, the one who came to save. They knew he wasn't peddling fake news, but they knew that they didn't like what he said. And so they accused him of being on the wrong team. But Jesus tries to set them straight. But he doesn't try to argue with them. He doesn't try to defend himself. He just tells two parables. Now let me ask you, as you look at these three different responses, what is your response? How do you respond to Jesus? Are you like his brothers and mother and think he's out of his mind? Are you like the religious leaders and think, no, he's got the devil in him? Or are you like the crowd of people who want to listen and are curious? Oh, by the way, when we think about following Jesus and doing his will, we should expect to be persecuted. So how many of you were persecuted this past week? Anybody get persecuted? Anybody get shouted at and yelled at or put down because you talked about Jesus or told someone you believed in Jesus? Nobody got persecuted? We must not be doing our job very well. I didn't get persecuted either, so I'm not doing my job very well either, I guess. But think about this for a minute. Jesus is is preaching there, talking to the people, and he's getting persecuted from two forces, his family and the church leaders themselves. In Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are you. Were you blessed this week? Because somebody insulted you? Because you believed in Jesus? And I said, falsely said all kinds of evil things against you? You see, maybe we're not taking seriously this Jesus. I'll give you a little insight into George Whitfield or Whitefield, which I'm going to pronounce it. George White Whitfield was a leading evangelist in the colonial America right before the Revolutionary War. He preached in England, and he came to the colonies. And he was so dedicated that he wanted the people to believe that he went about preaching. He was on horseback, no modern transportation. And he went from town to town to town on horseback. He actually wore out a couple of horses during his ministry, going hurriedly from one town to another. But the interesting thing that George Whitefield faced was the churches, church leaders, did not want him coming to their town. They wouldn't even let him preach in their churches or use their pulpits. He was not allowed in the church. 
And so he would stand outside, open, open air, and yell and preach. No megaphones, no microphones. And he had to yell so hard because so many people came to hear him that he actually began to hurt his voice box. He hurt his lungs. And as he continued preaching through the years, after every sermon, he would begin splitting up, spitting out blood because he was so dynamic in his preaching and had to yell so loud for people to hear. But he was committed to preaching Jesus Christ. And church leaders persecuted him. But what happens after the, all this era, this is known as the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in America. George Whitfield brought the first Great Spiritual Awakening to America, but he was on horseback, traveling across from town to town in the colonies, proclaiming Jesus Christ, asking the people to repent and believe the good news and be saved. And the religious leaders weren't too happy, just like the ones in this text. It's an interesting little thing, too, because Jesus told parables to, to uh, change the, the thoughts of the people. But one of the critics wrote George Whitfield a letter and complained and told him, told him what he thought were all his errors. And this time, George decided he better answer back. So here's the little letter that he sent back to this attacker, this persecutor. He says, I thank you heartily for your letter as for what you and my enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you that you will ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. Well, what could the guy say? Whitfield said, I know more things about me than you never thought about. But he was sold out on Christ. But he wasn't afraid to be persecuted. He wasn't afraid to preach the word. And so he got on horseback and he rode across the colonies proclaiming the good news which became known then as the First Great Awakening. And so we, in this culture that we live in, we are ones who are called here to proclaim Jesus Christ, to take seriously who Jesus is, to know what God's will is. And let's go back to that verse again, the, the last verse there. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So the question before you and I face is, am I doing the will of God? I guess you have to answer that question yourself. Am I taking seriously the will of God to proclaim the good news, even if I'm persecuted? Let me read a couple Bible passages to you. Because you see, God's will is what we're going to be defining now in the Pentecost season, all these next Sundays, how we live the Christian life. So hopefully you'll journey through this Pentecost season looking at all the texts that we have and what Jesus is saying about our lives, how we live and do the will of God, how we are brothers and sisters in Christ. First thing is we should be dead to sin. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. Now there's a magnificent message for us 
He bore our sins in his body. Jesus took your sins and my sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin. We died with him on the cross. Our sinful nature died with him. And by his wounds, his suffering, his whipping, his suffering, you have the forgiveness and mercy and healing of God. You can claim it all because Jesus did it for you. By his wounds, you've been healed. He bore your sins and my sins on the cross, Peter says. And now look at the fellowship we have with Christ. Paul writes to Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. Ah, what a promise! We can live with Jesus now and into eternity. You have the privilege of living with Jesus Christ because we died with him on the cross. He paid for our sins. He took our sins upon himself. So Paul writes to Timothy and says that wonderful message, a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. And then John writes in 1 John, the world and its desires pass away. But the man or the woman who does the will of God lives forever. Oh, that's a beautiful promise. Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. And John writes, the world and its desires will pass away. All the political process, all the commotion out there, all the stuff that's going on will pass away. But the person who does the will of God, who follows Jesus, who takes his word seriously, who gets into the word and reads it and is generally digested, that person will live forever. Want to live forever? Your choice. Be in the word. Pray. Spend time in worship. Acknowledge who Jesus is and live according to his will. But you've got to find out what his will is by reading the word, studying the word. You've got to be in the word. Not out of it, in it. And you have to be willing to be persecuted, ridiculed, laughed at by your family or friends or neighbors or whoever because you represent Jesus and you're willing to talk about Jesus to people. God's will is that we be saved. Come to believe the good news of Jesus. And Jesus went out saying, the kingdom of God is near, repent. And the kingdom of God came at the crucifixion and resurrection when Jesus accomplished all that he came for. And he strengthens us with the word and with the sacrament of Holy Communion, which you can come up and take in a few moments. When Jesus gave us this holy meal and said, take and eat my body, take and drink my blood, given to you for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are forgiven, wiped out. You live for righteousness. So we can have a great Pentecostal season. We can rejoice and be the family of Jesus. You can be brothers and sisters to each other. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ, doing the will of God, rejoicing. So we pray, Lord, may you bless each of us to follow your will, to know what your will is by being into your word and being willing to be persecuted for it, 
Be willing to stand up for the truth and to know that you are the truth. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. So bless us. So have a good Pentecostal season. It's here among us. It's here. Oh, and by the way, look forward to some persecution. And now with the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus.